I want to begin a series today. Uh, I think it's going to be a series, several messages at least. When I began reading the Bible again in 2020, and I encourage you, we've provided Bible reading guides and uh, read the Bible through in a year, not as a religious routine, but yet as a as a daily encounter with the living word of the Lord. I really encourage you. If you've not started that, it's never too late. And it's a wonderful habit to, to start and a good habit. There are good habits, amen, like brushing your teeth and changing your socks. And those are good habits, you know. There are bad habits, but we want to focus on the good habits. So good, a good one. And then learn to journal. Learn to at least get just, all you got to do is go to Dollar General or one of those stores, Walmart or one of those, go to Dollar General. They're even cheaper. You can buy a, a journaling book, and it doesn't have to say journal on it. It's just a composition book, and that's what I use. And just journal. I, I write down those scriptures that really spoke to me that day. I read out of the old and the new. I read out of Psalms and Proverbs, and uh, I just journal that day what that scripture said to me, what it meant to me. And my, my struggle is not to go off into a Bible study because I don't have that much time early in the morning, but to just journal and jot down. It'll stick with you better when you read it and write it down and put it in your writing. Of course, I have to print so I can go back and read it again if I want, ever wanted to do that. So I just encourage you to do that. But in my Bible reading, I came across Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. And I, I, I want to, there's a little bit of an introduction today but then we'll get into the Beatitudes, each one specifically. There are eight of them, and really there's nine. Jesus gives the ninth one, and it's a little bit different tone to it, but there are basically eight. And I want to give a little introduction today. And in saying that, when I read these Beatitudes, it was like reading Jesus' state of the kingdom message. It was awesome. And when I read it, and read through all of it, it was like, this is what the Christian is supposed to be. And in the day that we're living in, in the time that we're living in, sometimes the Christian life gets very muddled or very confusing of what a real Christian looks like, lives like, acts like, talks like, and does. And so the Beatitudes teach us what Jesus says. I mean, if anybody had it right, it was Jesus, right? And if anybody knew, and, and, um, and all the Beatitudes said, blessed is or blessed are, and if Jesus knew how to get a blessing, I mean, if anybody knew how to blessing, get a blessing, it was Jesus, wouldn't you think? Okay, so today's a little bit of introduction, pursuing God's likeness through the Beatitudes. You know, Jesus said, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And the real focus and the real goal that God has for you and I sitting here and those of you listening online, the real goal the Lord has for us is to be conformed and transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ, Yeshua. That's the goal. That's what we're going to look like. Now, you're not going to be Jesus yourself, but you're going to be transformed. And that's the process that's going on right now. He is transforming and conforming us to become more and more like him. And that's the journey that we're on. And I doubt anybody in this room or anybody listening, I doubt you got there and you've arrived in a month. And those that have you've been in following the Lord 50 or 60 years, I doubt that you're still there totally like Jesus is going to uh, transform and conform you into. Amen? So we're on a process. We're on a journey. But pursuing God's likeness through the Beatitudes is what we want to call this. And when I talk about this, the sad reality for many Christians today 
is I see Christians get stuck and settle for the little that they have and then they begin to reconcile themselves to remaining as they are. That's called complacency. And when I looked up complacency, complacency is this, self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by an unawareness of actual danger or deficiencies. Wow. Complacency is a self-satisfaction, especially when it's accompanied by an unawareness of danger or deficiencies. It's like they don't, people don't see it or that they don't want to see it. Complacency is costly. There's so many stories that you can draw from history and, and, and times that talk about complacency when people were complacency. Complacence, complacency is costly. And uh, I want to share with you one story that's pretty recent. Just happened a few, but within the last decade, this has happened. And the, the story was don't be like Kodak. Anybody remember Kodak Film Company? Instant cameras, cameras, film developing. The, the name years ago, the only name out, that was out there was Kodak. They had the commercials and you'd have your, buy your Kodak camera, your Kodak film. It'd be developed in the Kodak process. Kodak at one time was the market leader in photography and film. You know that. Well, most of us here know that. If you're real young, you don't even know what a camera is anymore because of the phones, the iPhone, you know, it's taking place. So, and then the iPhone 11, you know, you got, you got three, three uh, lenses on that thing, three cameras in that thing, you know, and that's what sells it. You're going to have, anyway. So Kodak was the leader in photography and film, and they were positioned to be the pioneer for the future. They, they had discovered and created the digital camera technology. They're the ones that discovered that. Yet they misunderstood the ways that consumers, you and I, wanted to interact with our photos. They didn't understand it. They just thought we still wanted to pull out the, the, the film or pull out the chip and run down to Walmart or wherever and have it processed again. That's not how people wanted to deal with it anymore. Soon Kodak was wiped out by the competitors who innovated on their very pioneering products and filled that void that Kodak created yet failed to capitalize on. Why? They were complacent. They thought they had the market cornered. They thought nobody else, you know, could do as well as they did. They were stuck. They were self-satisfied. They were unaware of the actual danger or deficiencies of their product that somebody else was going to move on and leave them behind. You don't even hear Kodak nowadays. So, it's ignoring the signs of what's happening and in the spiritual sense, that's what can happen to you and I. And the warnings of the Lord Jesus through the Beatitudes and many other places in the Scripture, or be careful for the times that you and I are living in the last days. Be careful that we are caught away with the cares of this life and that we, we aren't looking at things as they really are and we become deceived and we fall into the trap and we become complacent ourselves. And that's what complacency is for us in the spiritual sense. It's ignoring the signs of what's happening in our society or our culture today that lead to the downfall. And as believers, it is, very, it is most vital or it's very vital that we pay attention to the signs and not get comfortable doing what we've always done. Now, in our, in our 
spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord and worship, those things, yes, keep doing those things. But yet the Holy Spirit, the, me the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ is a plan of salvation. That does not change. It will never change. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if any man wants to come to the Father, he must come through Christ. I didn't say it. The church didn't say it. Jesus himself said it. And the Father agrees with him. So, you know, but so don't change that. But yet the methods and sometimes the ways that we reach people with the gospel must be changed. So we cannot be complacent. And I, I believe that in every child of God's heart, unless you're just stone cold spiritually or backslidden and you're just going through the motions or you've even quit trying to go through the motions, I believe in the heart of every true child of God that's really been born again, there is a heart that longs for more of the Lord. And I think, wow, we try to stay on the cutting edge of that, hungering and thirsting and praying and seeking and worshiping. Why do we do that? To gain, to gain entrance to get saved? No, we're already born again. We do it because we want God to be welcome. God inhabits the praises of his people. And as we worship, as we did here today, he shows up and, he, and we can worship our way through our adversity or problems or challenges. So there's a deep hunger and a longing in the heart of the one who's really born again for that more of the presence of God and his character to be developed in us. But here's the question and the dilemma is, how do you move in that direction? How do you move in that direction that you pursue God's likeness through the Beatitudes? Where do you begin? What, what can we do about all the stuff that gets in the way of our pursuit of the Lord? Do you have stuff that gets in your way every day? I have crisis. I have emergencies. I, I have things that happen. You know, it gets in the way. I have, maybe you don't deal with it, but I deal with my attitudes. I thought I'd probably be the only one in the room that struggled like this, but I have to deal with attitudes I have some days that get in the way of me walking like Christ would walk, and I have to deal with those, and some days I deal with them better than others. Some days I don't deal with them as good as I did with the other days. So where do you begin? How do you, what, do you, what can you do about all the stuff that gets in the way? Everyone wants to be blessed, as Jesus said, in all the areas of our life. And the good news and the right answer for that being blessed is that Jesus knows where the blessing is to be found. He does. If anybody knows, Jesus knows where the blessing is to be found. And he, and he reveals it to us from the eternal perspective of really knowing how you and I can truly be blessed. And as I said, today's a little bit of an introduction, but right now I want to read that list from Matthew 5, 1 through 12 on the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bible or your device, whatever, your media, it'll be on the screen also, that in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed or happy. And really blessed is more than just happy because God's not interested in just being us being happy. God's interested in us, our character being developed and shaped into what Jesus is like. Okay? So he says, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones that will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain 
mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for those are the ones that will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. His account. Rejoice. Here's the part you don't like. When all that happens, when, when those two last things, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. We don't like those. Why do you have to put those on the list? Because it's life. It happens. But here's our response. He said, and here's the tough part for us. Here's the, here's the flesh-killing part. He said, rejoice and be glad. You've got to be kidding. Rejoice and be glad. I'd rather kill and bury them. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So according to Jesus... What does a blessed life or the blessed life look like? Is it having a happy marriage? Is it having gifted children? Is it having a fulfilling position at a job? Is it having financial stability? Is it living a life that you have the opportunities to travel? Or is it enjoying or beginning to enjoy or hoping towards having a great retirement? All of these things are great. They're good. But... Notice, none of them are on the list of Jesus' description of what's blessed. Jesus doesn't say, happy are the happily married. I mean, it'd be good, but he said, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who enjoy good health. We'd all like that. But he says, but blessed are those who mourn. According to Jesus, and boy, you got to get this. According to Jesus, the greatest blessings are not found in the places where we normally look, but rather in places that at first we don't want to explore. The attitudes are contrary to what we think they're saying or what we expect. Being poor means you do not have resources. Well, do you want to sign up for that today? No, we don't like that. But Jesus speaks of a kind of poverty that will make us rich. What is that? We're going to find out. Mourning means you have great sorrow. It's what Norman and Becky Rush and and Becky's mother and family are going through right now with Ivan passing away. They know he's in heaven. Listen, funerals are not for those that are lying before us. Funerals are for us that remain and alive here in this world. And having to deal with their, 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 our loss, they're, they're gone, they've left us. And sometimes the mess that's left behind because they left us. We're the ones having to deal with it. But mourning means you have great sorrow. That's, that's not on anybody's wish list. And, but Jesus speaks of a kind of mourning that leads to a deep joy. So what is that? And I want to, just in this message today, how do we recognize a real, true Christian? Somebody who's really born again. Somebody who really has an encounter with the Lord. Uh, how do you recognize a true Christian? I'm going to give you a couple of points here. Many w- people would say, well, you recognize a true Christian by, by what a person believes. That's what makes them a Christian. And we see scriptures that would say that. 
John 8, 24, Jesus said himself, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And Jesus said also in John 6, 29, the work of God is to believe in the Father who sent his Son into the world. Wow. So believe in him. And so Jesus, Scripture teaches us there are certain beliefs without which a person cannot be a Christian. But I want you to look on the flip side of that in the book of James. In James 2.9, it also reminds us that even the demons, the devils believe. But they don't have eternal life. Satan knows Jesus died for sinners, rose from the dead, and now is at the Father's right hand awaiting his return to bring his bride to glory with him. Yet the devil and every demonic force, they refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus Yeshua, and they continue to operate as self-appointed lords in this life. So it's not necessarily just what a person believes, because even the devil believes there is a God and believes that he's powerful, and he's all-powerful, and they know that their time's limited. That's why they're kicking up such a fuss like they are today now. Second thing of how, how can you do a test and recognize that if a person is a true Christian. Many say that you can know a Christian by not only by what they believe, but secondly, by what they do. Well, again, a good answer. But yet Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, that's doing, right? Everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus said that, but yet Jesus also said, he speaks of those who do works in his name, mighty works in his name in Matthew 7, 23, and he speaks to them and he addresses them on the last day that even though you did these mighty works in my name, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. That knew there, that know there speaks of a intimacy, a personal relationship with the Lord. It's the word that comes from the relationship Adam and Eve and every man and woman that are married, that are married, should have that intimacy of knowing each other in an intimate way. And Jesus addresses people that were active in ministry. And listen, he said, cast out devils. He said, do the thing. Listen, that's the Pentecostal stuff. That's the spirit-filled stuff. Do you understand that we can even do the works of Jesus and yet him say to us one day, depart from me, I never knew you? You better make sure. So we think, we think well, it's just because by what we believe or just because of, of by what we do, you can know that a person's a real Christian. Listen, this was talking about people who taught the Bible, confronted evil in society, brought change for the good of many. They did impressive works. But according to Jesus, none of them were found, none of them, that was not conclusive evidence that they belonged to Christ. Wow. Jesus revealed to those disciples and to us about life under the blessing of the Lord, he described a kingdom citizen as one who is this. And this is where the Beatitudes begin. Poor in spirit, mourn over his or her sins, meekly submits to the will of God, and longs to grow in righteousness. I was amazed when I read Matthew 5. It's never hit me like it did this year. I don't know if it's the Lord given revelation. I'm sure it's that. I don't know if it's my age, I don't know what it is, but when I saw that, it's like this is Jesus' state of the kingdom message. You better make sure that these things are working in your life to make sure that you're born again, because this thing's about to wrap up, folks.
We're seeing the signs of the times happening just rapidly, just right before our eyes. That phone call I had, I shared with you last week. I won't go into any depth. I don't want, I don't want something to happen with that. But I told that person, I said, you get your Bible and you open it up to, to where Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13. You open your Bible and you listen to the news. What you see, what you read in the Bible and what you hear on the news, they, they, they are running parallel to each other. When you read your Bible, it's like listening to the news today. When you listen to the news, if you know the Bible, it's like, well, yeah, that's, the Bible said that, the Bible said that, the Bible said that's going to happen. We're there. We're there. I don't believe we're in the beginning of the last days. And thank God for that scripture. It says, when you, and here's the good news about all that and what I told that person. I said, for us that know the Lord, it said, lift up your head, your redemption's drawn out. Instead of looking down at the ground and griping and whining and complaining, complaining and fussing and Christian cussing at stuff, lift up your head. Your redemption's drawn nigh. Home going's about to happen. You say, well, Pastor, when? Listen, be careful. Don't be like it says in 1 Peter. People say, oh, all things are beginning as it did at the beginning. of All things are continuing and happening as it did at the beginning of time. When, when's the promise that has come? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But it's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's waiting on you. God's waiting on your kids. God's waiting on your husband. God's waiting on your wife. God's waiting on your mother, your father. God's waiting on your neighbor. God's waiting on those that you and I are carrying caring for, praying for, uh, having an intercessory burden for. God's given them a space of time, but there's coming a day. And I believe that it's just like the Bible said, the cup of iniquity is filling up all over the world. And when God and only God in his mercy, grace, goodness, righteousness, and wisdom knows when it's enough, and God says it's enough, and sends the Son and the angels to get us. Hallelujah. But if you're wanting to go with him, you better measure your life by Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. Because it's not the great works we do. It's not the preaching. It's, it's not the teaching. It's how we live for him. It is in the life of the person that lives this life of the Beatitudes that the blessing of the Lord will be found. You want God's blessing? You can't buy a blessing from God. You can't work enough in the church. You can't do enough to get God to bless you. He already loves you like he's, he's going to love you. And he never changes you. And God's not mad at you. Thank God. In the Beatitude, Jesus calls us to open our heart to the searching gaze of the Lord upon our life. Attitudes, motives. He calls us, secondly, to examine our interior life. We need to do that. According to the word, this word, James, the book of James says this, this book is a mirror. And when you, when you read this word and when you read this word that's living and alive, it will convict you. And that's good. It won't condemn you. That's bad. That's the devil. If you read this word and you're condemned, that's the devil sitting on your shoulder and go, you ain't ever going to be that. You might as well just give up now. You'll never be that. That's the devil. That's not God. God's saying, this is my plan for you. This is my destiny for you. I have provided everything that you need to help you to become this. When you hear that, that's the Spirit of God telling you that, encouraging you, comforting you, telling you, come on, you can do it. So he examines our interior heart, and then he calls us to discern our spiritual condition. 
Now, don't fall into condemnation. That's the devil. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I just explained to you, conviction is the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is Satan's work. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is the work of the, of the Lord. Conviction kind of works two ways. There's a positive, there's a negative first and a positive. When you're missing it, when you're not all you need to be measuring up to in the Lord, he will convict you of the negative. Well, here's what you did, but here's what's right. And he'll show you, he'll show you the negative, but he'll give you the positive side of it. And thank God the Lord said, if you'll just let me, I'll help you do it. I, there, there came a time in my early Christian life, man, I mean, I was lost when I didn't have Jesus. I was lost. I was pagan. I was out there wild, just horrible sinner. You would not have wanted me around your young people. You would definitely not have wanted me around your daughter. I was bad. You wouldn't have wanted me around. But when I got saved, the church almost messed me up because of religion, rules. And I tried to keep those rules. And I found out I can't. I wanted to, but I'm weak. And I, and I struggled and I would, I would try and I'd, I'd get tough, you know, and I'd, I'd just say, you're not doing this flesh and, and, and just put all kinds of barriers and things there. And it, it was so frustrating. I'm talking to somebody this morning. It was so frustrating because I found I couldn't live it. And finally, the Holy Spirit broke through to me and says, you can't live the Christian life. It's impossible for you to do it. But if you would every day just have a relationship with me, if you would just every day come to me and surrender your life to me and let me live through you. See, he was already in me, but I wasn't living, letting him live through me. I was trying to do it. I thought I had to accomplish it. I thought I had to overcome it. And I found out I couldn't. And you're going to find out you can't. Because if you try to obey him by, by, by keeping the law, if you offend in one point, James said, I said a week or two ago, if you try to keep the whole law, if you offend in one point, you're as guilty as all. Man, I failed so many times. And finally, the Lord broke through and helped me understand through the word of God that if you will just let me live through you every day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live this believing Christian, Christian following Jesus' life. And what a relief that was. What a burden off my shoulders it was. And, and just every day, I just, just be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Does it take five hours? No, or I wouldn't make it. Does it take an hour? No. Sometimes it may take that. Sometimes I can't do that all at once. But it doesn't take, the, the time is not important. It's the quality. It's the quality you spend with him. So you discern your spiritual condition, but not condemning yourself. And you need to ask yourself some honest questions. And I'm going to leave these with you this morning. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers in verse 9 of Matthew 5. Here's the question to ask yourself. Are you a person that brings peace? Now, I didn't say, do you try to please everybody? Because, number one, that's not going to happen. And that comes from a root of a fear of man if you're trying to please everybody. And the Bible teaches us in Proverbs that fear of man is a snare. 
So just get over it that you're not going to please everybody. It is a human impossibility. We need to please him. And the good news about that is the scripture says, as a, as a man, I'm having to paraphrase it, but as a, we live for the Lord, as a man's ways please the Lord, he makes us live at peace with all of our enemies. Now, I don't know how that works, but it works. God's a supernatural thing. God works. So blessed are peace. Are you a, pe- a person that brings peace? Does peace follow you because peace, he as peace, the prince of peace lives in you? Everywhere you go, do you bring peace or do you bring turmoil, strife, rebellion, aggravation, all that, all that gracious family, aggravation, frustration, terroration? Is that? <laughs> do other people at home or your work, do they experience tension when you're around because of the turmoil that's going on in your life? Or are you a peacemaker? Are you a carrier of peace because the Prince of Peace, you're at peace with the Prince of Peace in you. Next, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 8, what's the condition of your heart? Jesus said, guard our heart for out of it come the what? Issues of life. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks and we get in trouble. We cause trouble, we get in trouble. So what's the condition of our heart? We've got to be willing to examine that. Let the Holy Spirit examine that. To what extent has your inner life been polluted or fouled up by your impurity that your heart has gotten involved in? Keep your heart pure. You know, when you, when you fail, when you sin, when you see something, do something, say something, think something, go to the Lord immediately. The, the Holy Spirit, that's conviction. When you say, do, think something that's wrong, immediately, the, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, he's there. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me, son. Excuse me, daughter. That wasn't right. You shouldn't have said that that way. Maybe what you said was right, but the way you said it was wrong, and your motive there is wrong. You know, the Holy Spirit, he can get real specific. And when he speaks to you, that's the time to immediately purify your heart before him. Don't let sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, your anger. There's a reason for that. Number one, you're not going to do well. If the person knows you're upset at them, they're probably not going to do well. But most important of all, the devil is going to take what's inside you and create a stronghold in you. When you don't deal with it, a stronghold will be created there and it'll be harder to overcome it. And then thirdly, Jesus said, we'll look at more, but thirdly, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, verse 7. How are you doing? Here's the question to ask ourselves. How are we doing when it comes to forgiving other people? This is the greatest hindrance to your prayers being answered to, God's, to God meeting your needs is because you or we are prone to have and keep unforgiveness in our heart. Are you a grudge holder? Are you a quick forgiver? I know it gets quiet here when we talk about those things. Are you merciful? Listen to Are you merciful towards the weakness of others who have failed you? Can you look in the mirror and remember the times of when you failed other people? 
and they forgave you. I mean, a mama's always willing to do that. A dad sometimes, so we move beyond that. Jesus' words of these beatitudes cut through the shallowness and the cheap talk that fills our Christian dialogue many times. If you're standing on a half-hearted decision that you once made to follow the Lord, but there's no change in your life. This is so important. I don't know if I can say it strong enough, and I don't say it in a condemning way, but I want to say it in a way that the Holy Spirit can take it and be like a, a sword to your heart that, that, would, that would move us and motivate us. That if you're just standing on a half-hearted decision that you once made to follow the Lord, but there's no change in your life, you still treat people the ugly way you treated them before you were a Christian. You still act the way you did before, before you were professed a Christian. If, if they're, listen, those that name the name of the Lord will depart from iniquity. I didn't say we're perfect, but we're on a journey that we clean our, we let the Lord clean our life up and we're different if any person be in Christ, they are a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, if things aren't, if the spirit of God, if the work of God, if the progress of God, if the growth of God in your life, if you're not continually becoming, moving from glory to glory, becoming more like Christ, more love, more grace, more compassion, more patience, you're stuck. You're stuck. And you need to let the Lord wake you up to the words of Jesus from the Beatitudes. We stand in grace, but we're reaching for growth. Did you hear that? We stand in his grace because that's how any of us and all of us are going to make it, by his grace. But we're reaching for growth. So you got to do both. You have to take that position. The Beatitudes tell us what a true Christian looks like, but the Beatitudes don't necessarily tell us how to become like them, like that. Here's an example. I don't know if it'll relate to you or not. But how many of you in our area, there are the, the goldfinch bird. They're beautiful. They come right outside our kitchen window, and they eat the berries, and, and we watch them, and they, they're just, they're really cool. I mean, they're those little yellow birds, uh, black birds with, with the yellow. They're beautiful. They're goldfinch. They are known by that distinctive yellow color. But the yellow color does not make it a goldfinch. The bird is yellow because it is a goldfinch. I just, what? <laughs> this is not hard. The bird's yellow because it is a goldfinch. Its nature causes its coloration. Have you ever seen one of those? They're beautiful birds in this area. And its color, it reflects its nature. It's a goldfinch because it's that color, and it's that color because that's its nature. Painting dye on a black bird will not make it a goldfinch. I've said this for years. You can get a pup tent, a two-man tent, a, a, five, a, a family of five tent. You can bring it here and set it right down in the altar, right below the pulpit, and live here throughout the week. And it does not make you a Christian. It does not make you dedicated. 
It's going to give you a sore back laying on this carpet, and you're going to be in the way of the janitor and everybody else. It doesn't make you a Christian. Just like coming to church does not make you a Christian. Paying tithe does not make you a Christian. Doing the things, witnessing does not make you a Christian. You do those things because your nature's been changed, and you want to do those things. You want to do those things because that's what the Lord says your nature should become doing. But you have to be before you can do. You have to be saved, which gives you a heart. And that's what Paul said. The things that I once loved, I don't love. And that's so true. You know, listen, if that hadn't happened in your life, if you're still liking the things you did before you were saved, the sinful things, this is strong, but I doubt your salvation experience. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you if you're listening. Or how, wherever else is going. If you have not been changed and you, you hate the way that you used to be, the bad things, the sinful things, if you despise those things, if you don't despise those things, I wonder, did you really get born again? Because when you really encounter Jesus and he really becomes Lord of your life, he changes your heart. And that's why we pray for those that have do, done bad things, done evil things, done wicked things, horribly murdered people, horribly done injustice to people. You pray for them that they get saved because that is the real cure. And the only real cure is that their heart is changed for God. They're born again. They got a new heart. Amen. So this little bird, you know, a Christian's known by the distinguishing marks that Jesus talks about. And these characteristics of a believer, they are the evidence and what the Bible calls fruit of the new life in Christ. God wants you to be fruity. He wants you to bear fruit. All of creation, nature, animal life, human life, God blessed them, said be fruitful and multiply. Still in effect. That's God's pattern. Jesus' message is not, did you hear me? Jesus' message is not, if you humble yourself, if you mourn over your sins, if you submit yourself meekly to God and get an appetite for righteousness, God will smile on you and you'll get to heaven. If you do those things, God's going to smile on you and get to heaven. No, because that's works. That's you doing it. Now, I don't want to confuse some people today, but yet those things that I've just said they will happen in your life once you really are born again. You will mourn over your sin. You, you will submit yourself to the Lord. You will hunger and thirst for righteousness. It will put a smile on God's face, but that's not how you get to heaven. God's grace and mercy comes to you when you trust what Jesus, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, please. God's grace and mercy will come to you when you trust what Jesus has accomplished for you by his dying on the cross in our behalf, your behalf. Then, being in Christ and Christ being in you gives you an entirely new position before the Lord where you're cleansed from your sins so completely that those sins are not charged against you either now or in the future. Hallelujah. He casts our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is not forgetting because we don't ever forget. Listen, your brain's a computer. It doesn't forget. It can take, for some of you, it can take you back to five years old when you were first offended, wounded, hurt by somebody. 
Some of you may be able to track back further than that. Your, your, your brain is a computer. It doesn't forget. In the right scenario, in the right stimulus, it'll remember some. It will remember it in such details. You can tell it in color. You can tell where it happened. You can tell the names of it. It just, it's like, you know, I don't know if it, it's not videotape. That, it's not good enough anymore. It's just like, wow. And you think, if, if we're, wait, do you think God forgets? He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He doesn't forget. Did you hear that? God doesn't forget. Forgiveness is God chooses not to remember your sin against you. He chooses not to use it against you. And that's why he tells you and I, you have the power, you have the ability to forgive because you also can choose not to use what people have done against you against them. It's your choice. It's become one of my favorite words in my life. We make choices every day. But it's your choice. So forgiveness is not a feeling. Well, I don't feel like I'm going for, I can forgive. You're never going to feel like it. You have to make a choice to do it because the Lord says it's right. And it's God's way of blessing you and setting you free. Now, that sounds selfish. But if you don't forgive, you're not free. And if you're not free, then you can't let God love you and you'll never love people. Because you build up walls. Wow. I feel like the ring doorbell thing. Bing dong. That got somebody. It gets me. I mean, I may be good right now, but <laughs> we're all challenged with forgiving somebody. The, day, the sun may not go down today. If you drive on the streets. Just saying. This reconciliate. I, I've, let, me, let me read these scriptures. I've already kind of mentioned some of them. In paraphrase, Romans 5, 1 says, since you've been justified by faith, or since we have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to have peace. Be justified by faith with God. I love that word justified because when you, when you kind of look at it as a, a break it down, it means just as if I'd never sinned. Do you know that God looks at you today just as if you'd never sinned? You don't look at yourself that way. Others may not look at yourself that way, but the one that really matters looks at you that way just as if you'd never sinned because you have trusted in what his son did for you on the cross. And when you try, and if you have never done that today yet, trusted what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you need to do that today. You need to trust him. You need to come to the knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord today so he can put you into the, he can change, take you out of the category of the condemned and put you into the category of the justified just as if you'd never sinned. It's a good place. It's a good place. Am I perfect? Oh, no. Are you perfect? Nope. But when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ wrapped all around you. Our rags, our, our sins that are filthy rags of unrighteousness have been taken off of us. The guilt, the shame, it's gone. He wraps us with his robe of righteousness he says, that's my son. That's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't just say that about Jesus. He says that about you. Because he not, not only sees you how you... Man, this is, this is not in the notes, but this is in his. Because the Holy Spirit sees you not just now as you are. God sees you as who you're going to be in him. So God blesses you, not from your present, not from your past, not from your history... 
We all have a history. God doesn't bless you from your history. God doesn't see you from your history. God sees you from your, your future in him. Blessed, righteous, highly favored, anointed. Now, don't get cocky and arrogant. It's not you that did it, okay? So don't go around here saying, well, I'm Mr. Mrs. It's by his mercy and his grace, and that should humble us and be humble before him. Wow. Thank you, Lord. That's cool. Help me get that back in these notes. And then he says in Romans 8, if I can get this thing to work right, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Listen, somebody, somebody may have a videotape. Somebody may have a memory of something you did said wrong. And they may try to throw it up to you. They may throw up your past to you. But listen, the one that matters most says about you, I don't condemn you. Just as he did to the woman caught in the very act of adultery. I don't condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more though. Then Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him. Isn't that amazing? You think you chose Jesus. No, you didn't. He searched. He tracked. He chased. He cornered. He, he did everything he could to, to get you to, to turn to him. And finally, he, he finally won your heart. He chose you in him. Before the foundation of the world. Before your mama, daddy, grandparents, great-grandparents ever thought of having children or you being here. He already knew you by name. And fashioned you in your mother's womb. And called you and chose you. That you would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. That's amazing. Some of you wonder, am I really God's kid? Some of you wonder, some of you have literally been legally adopted. You didn't have a mom, dad, or you did, and what, something happened, and you were adopted by parents. Thank God. That's a beautiful thing. But the greater, this was so weird. I was just so messed up as a kid growing up in a dysfunctional family. I wondered, do I, am I really their child? I really did. And, and we had a, a linen closet. You know what a linen closet is? It's where you keep your linens. And we had a linen closet at the end of the hall that was next door to mom's and dad's bedroom. And there was a metal green box. They never locked it, but there was a metal green box. had all the family records in it. Any of you remember keeping stuff like that? This is before, long before computers. I knew that where that box was, and I knew there were records in it. And, and I just got to the point in growing up, I think it was preteen years, I just went, do I really re belong to these people? Because it doesn't feel like family much. This is dysfunctional. And I got to digging in that green box and I found my birth certificate. It's kind of a scary moment, really, to be honest, because I was wondering, I mean, I know I'm here and I'm not going to get out of this family, but I'm here, but I just need to know, do I belong here? And I found my birth certificate, and sure enough, there was my dad's name, my mom's name, the place of the hospital, you know, the time, my weight, and the doctor's signature and all that. And I went, I really do belong here. I really do belong to them. And it was a relief to me as a kid. It was a relief. Listen, some people don't even have that comfort in this life. But it, it even greater than that, in God's love, he adopted you and I. Listen, we were skunks. We were rascals. We were bad. We were sinners. We were, like Joe said, we were skanky. 
But yet God, he knew what he was getting when he adopted us. But he so loved us, he adopted us anyway. And it says in that love, he's predestined us for adoption to himself according to the purpose of his will. What's that? To transform us and conform us into the image of his son. To be a child, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be an heir of God, to be a joint heir of Jesus Christ, to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God, representing him. Wow. You got a future. You got a present, but you got a future ahead of you, a destiny. And this reconciliation process of the Father, it transforms our relationship from a sinner facing judgment to a son or a daughter anticipating a glorious inheritance. Selah. Man, you need to thank God. So the distinguishing marks of the person who is saved by Christ's death is that he or she seeks to copy or imitate and when I say imitate, I don't mean just try to, try, to, try to do that because you and I can't do that in our own power. But as we walk with him, we become like him. And we're not saved or born again by trying to copy Christ's life. That comes through our trust and the supernatural empowerment that he gives us. I hope you understand this and are getting this today. You can't do it by your own ability. And I think that's what's wrong in so many churches in the body of Christ today. We've got people that are coming, doing the right things, but they're really not born again. Because, and you say, Pastor, how can you say that? That's judgmental. You know they're not born again because Jesus said you'll know them by the fruit that they bear. And sometimes there's not fruit. There's not love. There's not mercy. There's not compassion. There's not patience. There's not all these gifts of the Spirit. And not just the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And there's not these beatitudes happening in our life. And what's wrong? It's either we really didn't have a born again experience or we've chosen not to follow that and we're complacent. And we're happy with where we are, unaware of the danger that lies ahead of us, that Jesus said, if you don't bear fruit, you may not really be mine. That's not condemnation. That's examination. After we're born again, that saved person, listen, once you're born again, you're going to hunger for righteousness. Oh, will you struggle? Yeah. Will you trip? Yeah. Will you fail? Yep. Yep. You're not perfect. You're still a human but you're going to hunger. And when you fall down, you're going to get back up again. And when you fail, you're going to run to him for forgiveness. You don't run away from God. You run to him when you fail. And we've got to learn that. You run to him when you fail, not away from him. Holiness is not the reason that we'll enter into heaven. Grace is. Is grace. Our hunger for holiness is the distinguishing mark and the characteristic of the person who stands in that grace. They belong together. A hunger for holiness and the standing in grace. They go together. Christ is the gift offered to us from God. And with him are multiple gifts that we're privileged to partake of. With him, with Christ, when you have Christ, you have all the gifts that God has. You know, I, I found this out a few years ago. And I'm sad that it was just a few years ago. You know, how we kind of idolize ministers or people, preachers. Um, people that are in ministry tend to do that. And I, and I would say, oh, I wish I had a ministry like this. I wish I had a ministry like that person. I wish I had a ministry like them. I wish, I wish I, God called me to do that. And I wish I had a ministry like that. And one day the Holy Spirit stopped me. And I, and I heard the Holy Spirit, but it's like I heard Jesus say, Jesus said, 
why don't you want a ministry like I had? She said, Lord, I'm sorry. I've sought something of a cheaper version modeled that you gave to somebody else. And I started from then. I said, Lord, give me the ministry you have that you have for me. And we all have gifts. With them, we all have gifts. But without them, we don't have any of it. God offers us one gift. It's Yeshua Jesus. He is all you need. You don't need Jesus and Buddha. You don't need Jesus and Mohammed. You don't need Jesus and money. You don't need Jesus and what? You don't need Jesus and, and him or her. You, just, you need Jesus. And when you got Jesus, all these other things, he said, he said in Matthew 6, will be added to you. But when you seek him first, and his heart first, he's going to take care of the rest. Wow. Pastor Larry, here, here's how you know. Well, stand with me. As we stand in grace this morning, I encourage you, invite you, stand in grace. And as we stand together this morning in grace, this is how you know you are standing in God's grace. You're going to hunger and pursue holiness, right living between you and the Lord and between you and people. You can't be nice to God and ugly to people because they're his creation. And his image, James, the book of James, boy, he's getting a lot of footnotes today. The book of James says that, you know, the image of God dwells in people, so how can you bless God and curse people? That'll shut your mouth. Or, or should, or should. You know you're standing in God's grace when you hunger and start pursuing holiness. You know you're standing in God's grace when your will becomes aligned with God's will and you surrender your will, said, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you and your kingdom. And you begin to reflect the beauty of Jesus who now lives in you. This is going to be a wonderful study on the Beatitudes. This is just the introduction. I thought, I said, man. I said, Pastor, what, what's the purpose of it? Here's, here's, the, here's, my, here's what I feel like as a spirit gave me the motivation. We need to make sure we have the fruit that Jesus said would guarantee that we really do belong to him. There's a lot of people that name the name of Jesus. They've never departed from iniquity. They're living mixed, mingled lives, living in the world, living like the world. And Jesus said, you got to leave the world. you got to leave the world system. And you got the kingdom is so much better in this world. So that's the motivation I feel like the Holy Spirit's put upon my heart. So we're going to look at these Beatitudes. Father, thank you for mercy, for grace, for kindness, for goodness. Thank you for the incredible love Father, that you bestow upon us through Christ Jesus. Thank you that it is by grace. And thank you, Lord, that there's a power that grace gives us. Not that we in ourselves can live it or do it, but that, Lord, a changed heart, a changed heart, a regenerated heart, a heart that has been remade, fashioned new, heart that has to please you in it Lord and not living for ourselves. I pray today Holy Spirit do your work here 
talk to us. May we not be complacent that, Lord, that we think that, oh, God, that we're unaware, that, Lord, that we're, we're self-satisfied. Help us to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to examine us. You don't condemn us, but you do convict us. May conviction of the Holy Spirit happen in us. And Lord Jesus, that we would be surrendered and transformed. For your kingdom's sake, we pray it in the name of Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask for our ministry teams if you would come. Pastor Larry's going to lead us in worship. And if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, say that there's not a lot of fruit going in me. I've kind of gotten complacent, stagnant, and I need to be motivated again. And I want to make a fresh commitment that Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, I don't want to live for myself or this world. I want to live for you. I want to ask you to walk down here and I want you to let them pray with you. And I'm inviting you to rededicate, reconsecrate, renew your heart, your faith, your relationship with the Lord Jesus today. And others are going to be worshiping and, and just asking the Lord to do the same thing in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name.